The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Welcome to a discussion of radical fundamental principles of freedom, rational self-interest, laissez-faire capitalism, and individual rights. The Yaron Brook Show starts now. All right, welcome to hour number two of the Yaron Brook Show, and we're talking, uh, we're talking about Donald Trump right now. Uh, I want to move on from that in a little while, but I've still got Joseph on the line. I'm going to take his call in a minute. Uh, I cut him off there. Um, and we'll see if we can get something positive uh, from him. He's gone. He dropped. Okay, so we've lost uh, Joseph. Um, let me just let me just say this in summary. I mean, Donald Trump is, in my view, and I've said this from the beginning when he was running for president. He's not a thinker. Uh, he, he emotes. He 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 he. It's all about emotion. It's all about that quick tweet. It's all about you know whether it's an anger and any other kind of emotion. He is driven by emotion, not by rational thinking. He has no agenda. Because he has no ideas. He has this general notion that he wants to make America great again. But he has no concept of what America is and therefore has no concept of what it would mean to make America great again. He can't lead a Republican Party that is split about what America is about with with a big portion of the Republican Party basically being Democrats light, basically being socialist light. And a few members who might be pro-capitalist in, in one sense or another, plus a strong role uh, for, uh, believe in a strong role for religion in, in politics across the Republican Party. Uh, you know, so that you've got, you've got this Republican Party that's dysfunctional, that doesn't have a clear agenda, that doesn't have unifying principles other than a general hatred of the Democrats and of the left. And then you don't have a leader who can think, who can articulate an actual vision. Making America great again or America first is not a vision unless you fill it with content, with ideas, with programs, with things that would actually be done. So Republicans cannot repeal Obamacare because they cannot advocate for a real free market in healthcare. They might be half a dozen to be optimistic. Uh, senators who actually believe in free markets. There's a middle group that eh, doesn't really believe in free markets, that doesn't really trust free markets, but they don't really believe in socialism. So they they, they can't be for Obamacare, but they don't really know what to do. And then there's a small number, McCain, Susan Collins, who are basically socialists when it comes to health care. How do you do anything with that? And how do you find a few Democrats? And they might be a few Democrats who realize that Obamacare is collapsing, that realize that Obamacare is finished, that that Obamacare is destructive, and get them to work with you on a free market solution or a a solution that moves towards free markets and and, and actually get some Democrats to vote on this. And I don't think that's unthinkable. I really don't. Now, I think it's unthinkable for Trump, and I think it's unthinkable for for some of these uh, senators, but I, I, I think there's some Democrats who understand healthcare and the disaster that is Obamacare more than McCain does, more than Susan Collins does, more than even Rob Portman does from Ohio. So, but but they're incapable of reaching out. They're incapable of talking to anybody. They're incapable of offering actual solutions. And what's really they're incapable 
is presenting a vision, a, a free market vision for healthcare. Exciting the American people about it. Get the American people rallying about it. Get the American people writing to their congressmen about it. Writing to their senators about them. Get them out in the streets demonstrating for free market healthcare because it's so cool. It's so exciting. It's so wonderful because somebody has articulated that vision. Healthcare quality going through the roof and prices coming down and choices, individuals having choices about healthcare for themselves and for their families. What a revolution that would be. But somebody has to articulate that. Somebody has to articulate that, and nobody is. There's no leadership in the Republican Party. On the other hand, there is leadership in the Democratic Party. We got, uh, over the last week or so, we got the new Democratic economic plan that Chuck Schumer presented with a vision a vision taken right out of Bernie Sanders, you know, and it's, it's, uh, it's um, you know, they're presenting this exciting economic program. By the way, uh, if you want to continue defending Trump, uh, you can still call in 888-900-3393. I guess, I guess this is not a good week to ask people to actually call and defend Trump. <clears throat> you know, you can attack me personally and you can say he's better than Hillary. All that you can do, but I'm actually looking for somebody to defend Trump. Oh, I've got I've got somebody who has a soft disagreement. I don't know what that is. All right, Luke, before I go on to attacking Democrats, what's your soft disagreement? Um, so basically, um, I think I will agree with you on pretty much everything you said. Uh, <laughs> I think that, that Trump, um, he is not doing a whole lot that he should be doing. I'm going to disagree with you on one small thing. I'm not going to say it's because you're not a billionaire or a president. That's um, good. What I'm going to say is you compared them to the stuff that Reagan got done. And I think the Democrats that uh, Reagan had to deal with were, you know, Grandpa's Democrat Party. And it's definitely not like that anymore. I mean, yeah. we got hardcore communists. And I really think they would just disagree with Trump. That Trump came out saying that um, he supports single payer and free, free uh, uh, reassignment surgery. Um, the Democrats would oppose him just for the sake of, dis- uh, of opposing him. So he can count on 50 percent. Oh, I actually doubt that. I think they would instantly no. make him a, a, an honorary member of the Democratic Party if he if he came out for those things. But, uh, but <laughs> well, I would I would have to concede because you're a lot more intelligent than I am. And uh, and I actually think that Donald Trump is going to come out for single payer in the end because I think that's the I, only solution to the quandary he's placed himself in. Uh, and as soon as the, the vote didn't pass, that was what I was my sneaking suspicion was that uh, we're going to have communist health care in America. Yeah. Um, but I agree with you pretty spot on. I mean, he, we, we elected him to do what was good for America and all he's focused on is foreign policy so far. And he's not really, I mean, maybe 10, 15% of what he's actually talked about. Yep. Being president has to be, has to do with domestic stuff. No, I think that's right. And even the foreign policy, I, I, I don't, I haven't seen much America first, real America first, what I would consider a real tough America, yeah. a, a real America focused on its own interest. I haven't seen from him, but but I will agree with you on this. There's no question the Democratic Party has moved dramatically to the left since Reagan years. And the Republican Party has moved dramatically to the left since Absolutely. Uh, Reagan and my, I really hate when they say that the Republican Party is far to the right. No. So that's just not true. No. I think that even as conservatives, we're centrist because the Constitution should be at the center. And we all support the Constitution yep. with Anarchy yeah. being to the right and totalitarianism being to the left, and everybody's moved to the left. Except and that's the right. and that's a better way to think about it. I agree with you. I, I don't like this left-right actually. So I agree with you. Everybody's moved away from the Constitution. 
Everybody's moved away from this country really stands for. Everybody's moved away from individualism, from rule of law. You saw that in the Obama administration. Everybody's moved away from, from the American founding and the founding principles of this country so that the Republican Party is not the Republican Party even 30 years ago. And they were wimps then, let's be clear. They were wimps then. Uh, they, they've been wimps for 100 years, but they systematically, every decade, move further and further away from the principles that made this country what it is, from the principles of the founding, the principles of individualism, of individual rights, of, of individual freedom, and the principles of capitalism. They don't understand. And, and yes, they've moved, in a sense, to the right on things like religion, on things like the social issues, but on, on the economic issues, on the issues of the rights of the individual, because it's not just economic issues, uh, on the rights of individuals, they have become more collectivist and more anti-American than they've ever been before. So yes, in that sense, Trump has a hard time. And, and I would sympathize with Trump if he articulated an individualistic, pro-capitalist, um, pro-individual rights message and the Republicans and Democrats were blocking him. But he's not articulating anything. His message is, get something done. And, and you know, when the Prime Minister of Australia comes, he, he compliments the single-payer, you know, socialist medical uh, care that they have in Australia. That's the message he's giving us. He's not giving us a coherent pro-American message because the fact is he doesn't know what America stands for. He doesn't understand individualism or the Constitution. Did he mention the Constitution once during the campaign? And no, know, sir. I don't, I don't believe he did. And then all these conservatives voted for him. All right, Luke, I'm glad at the end of the day we basically agree. Um, yes, and it's sad, can though. I, can I say one more thing to you real absolutely. quick? Absolutely. Uh, a week or two ago, I had called in uh, when you were talking about the UBI Yep. And uh, I had asked if you read any books, and you suggested I read Ayn Rand. And I just want to say that I got it, and thank you for recommending that book. That book is amazing. So, so you're reading Alice Shrugged? Yes, sir. Uh, excellent. You made my day. You just made right, my thank day. Thank you, sir. You All right. Thanks, Luke. Thanks for calling. And, you know, I wish I'm waiting for the call who will actually explain to me the grand strategy here, will actually explain to me why I'm completely wrong about President Trump. Look, at the end of the day, I want what's good for America. I, I, I want this country to be great again in a, in a meaningful sense. I want the resurrection of a constitution. I want respect for individual rights and respect for individualism. I don't see it. You know, if I'm missing something, let me know. All right, you're listening to Iran Book Show and um, we're gonna take a quick break here uh, and we're on the Blaze Radio Network. We'll be right back after this break. PhD, author, media contributor. This is the Iran Brook Show. The Blaze Radio Network. This is the Yaron Brook Show. All right, so I spent the first hour plus, you know, going after Donald Trump. Uh, you know, we got to give equal opportunity here for the Democrats because uh, they, they've been they've been they've been pretty stupid the last couple of weeks. I mean, they're always awful. Stupid is too nice of a word. Awful. So uh, Chuck Schumer has come out with a new Democratic uh, economic plan. They're very excited. The Democrats, they're going to they're going to run on this in the election. I hope they do. Give me a lot of fodder if they do. And it's they've got great title, right? They you know they they've, they've picked up from uh, they've learned from Donald Trump and they've learned from uh, from Bernie Sanders and the, you know they've got a great tagline. The tagline is 
a better deal. I wonder where they got that from. A better deal. Better jobs, better wages, better future. Don't you love that? Aren't you for better jobs, better wages, and a better future? I want a better deal. How are they going to get it? Well, let's go over. You know, they haven't, of course, given us the details. God forbid you should actually have the details. But, uh, but uh, what are they, what are they uh, proposing here? Right? They're proposing cracking down on monopolies. All right. That is supposed to give people a better future, right? Because monopolies are so evil. And we're going to go after drug companies and, and force them to lower drug prices. And of course, lower drug prices means less R&D, which means less innovation, which means a worse future for most of us, right? Then they crack down on the monopolies. What's new? Democrats always want to crack down on monopolies. They always have. So do Republicans, by the way. The Sherman Act was passed by a Republican uh, Congress in 1890, and uh, Republicans have never done anything to uh, do away with antitrust laws. So, yippee, Democrats want to crack down on monopolies. What, what new, exciting, new economic program they are proposing. How are they going to get us better wages? Did you hear this one? Another original idea, another a brilliant one, original, brilliant, and, and completely consistent with economic theory. They want to raise the minimum wage nationally to $15 an hour. Ignoring the data coming out of Seattle, which has already raised the minimum wage to 15 bucks an hour, that, that destroys jobs, that it, it actually causes people to work less. Uh, time is being cut. Uh, it, it, youth unemployment is increased. And uh, people are just, their time, instead of working 40 hours, they're working fewer hours because the businesses can't afford to pay them less. Of course, if you raise wages by fifteen hour, fifteen dollars an hour, what else happens? Well, the other thing that happens is cost of living goes up because companies are going to raise the price of the stuff they sell. So that kind of destroys the other part of their agenda, which is lower the cost of living. Democrats are committed to lowering the cost of living. By raising the minimum wage to 15 bucks an hour, they're guaranteed not to be able to do that. How are they going to create jobs? They haven't gotten to that part, particularly when raising the minimum wage is going to destroy jobs. They haven't quite gotten to that. I mean, these people, it's just unbelievable how much uh, uh, they are just opposed to reality. They're fundamentally opposed to reality. Now, this is, I guess, what unites both Democrats and Republicans. Republicans, at least some of them, glimpse reality and are too cowardly to actually face it and embrace it and, 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 uh, and go with it. Democrats don't even recognize the existence of reality. It's, it's, it's a complete fantasy when it comes to these things. Then when you add what's going on on campuses, uh, you know, and, and the, the, the gross attacks on free speech within, uh, within the democratic movement, if you want to call it, within the movement of the left. Uh, it, 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 you know, the, the left is becoming the, 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 the Democratic Party and its satellites on campuses and intellectually and philosophically are just becoming worse and worse and worse. And it's, it, it's becoming scarier and scarier, uh, you know, to, to, to track these things and, and to follow what is going on you know, with the people, with the people on the left, and we've talked about the people on the right. So, what hope is it? There were these, um, 
there was a a, a survey uh, recently, uh, and I know that you know so you have to be careful of surveys, and and certainly I uh, I would want uh, I would be uh, very careful of uh, jumping on any survey data as definitive. But I found this survey really really interesting. A, a couple of surveys. So the first survey was. Uh, by YouGov, and this one was surveyed re Republicans. And it found that 45% of Republicans, 45% of Republicans support letting courts shut down news media outlets for publishing or broadcasting stories that are biased or inaccurate. Think about that. A court would now decide what is biased and inaccurate and shut down publishing or broadcasting. This is the whole attack of Trump's on the media on mainstream media, the whole idea of false news and making, you know, false news is false news. It should be attacked. But this this idea that the media is just, that, that, that false news and bias and all this is the same and courts and government should be allowed to shut it down. 45% of Republicans support this, only 18% of Democrats. So it appears, ooh, Democrats are good on free speech here, right? Only 33% of Republicans recognize that finding news media outlets for publishing or broadcasting stories that are biased or inaccurate would violate the First Amendment. Only 33% of, of Republicans realize that. All right, so we say, okay, on this one, when it comes to the media, Republicans, when it comes to free speech in the media, Republicans are much worse than Democrats. Right? Now, again... I grant the fact that I'm sure the, the way the question was asked and the polls are biased and everything. But then there was a YouGov, same company, poll, that asked, that asked people whether they think the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, as it's currently written, does or does not allow people to make public comments intended to stir up hatred against a group based on such things as race, gender, religion, ethnic origin, or sexual orientation. Only 64% of Republicans recognize that the First Amendment allows you to insult people based on race, gender, religion, ethnic origin, or sexual orientation. But only 48% of Democrats recognize this. I mean, that's, that's scary. More troubling is that 48% of Democrats recognized, right, the, the, only 48% of them recognize that the First Amendment allowed people to stir up hate as I'm doing right now, I guess. 51% of them favored making it a crime to do so. 51% of Democrats favored making a crime stirring up hate in a sense of attacking somebody on race, gender, religion, ethnic origin, or sexual orientation. Now, I'm not a big believer in stirring up hate on any of those things. I think it's horrible to identify people based on their race or based on any, any of these parameters. But you have a right to do it. That's what the First Amendment is there to protect us. It's to protect us from, to protect people making offensive speech. All right, we'll talk more about this when we come back after this break. Um, because this is, this is the creeping totalitarianism that we have in this country. This is left and right, both opposed in various forms to the protections of the First Amendment. And that should scare all of us. You're listening to Ron Brooks Show on the Blaze Radio Network. You won't hear traditional political views here. This is the Yaron Brooks Show on the Blaze Radio Network.
Yaron Brooks Show. All right, well, let me apologize. I've been so negative today. It really is. I'm getting depressed from all this stuff. Democrats are pathetic. Uh, the left is, is more bankrupt than ever. The, the, the Trump administration is just a joke. I mean, just a joke. And, uh, and is, is as pathetic as ever. The Democrats' new economic plan is more regulations, more controls, more tax on corporations, higher minimum wages, higher cost of living. It's, it's you know, socialism light. They don't even have the guts to be out and out socialist. At least that would be interesting. It, 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 and, and the Republicans are just Democrats light. There is no free market party. There is no semblance of a, of a, of a constitutional party where Republicans at least used to aspire towards. There maybe is a half dozen decent Republican senators, maybe even less than that, maybe three or four. It, it's just an out and out disaster politically. The situation in this country is just awful. And then I read you the statistics on free speech. The Republicans are anti-free speech now. If it's if if you're attacking the media, then you can do whatever the hell you want, right? Democrats are anti-free speech. If it's the silent speech that offends their special interest groups, which are race, gender, blah 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 blah, right? So each group has that area of free speech that they want to go after based on what they've decided the enemy looks like. Disgusting. End of civilization as we know it. Free speech, and I'll talk about this in future shows many times, is a foundational concept for civilization, for freedom. Without free speech, we are lost. And we'll both the left and the right, supposedly left and right, agree that free speech should be modified, moderated, should be attacked. It's hard to be optimistic, and yet, I want to turn to some optimistic subjects, but you know what? I've got callers. And we're in the name of taking callers, um, I'm, I'm going to avoid the, uh, the uh, you know, uh, delay the optimism for just a little bit. All right. Uh, we have uh, Skylar from Delaware. Uh, hi, Skylar. What's up? Good afternoon, Dr. Brooke. Good I afternoon. I had a question regarding, yes, yes, sir. I had a question regarding hatred or hate. In your opinion, do you think that hate can motivate, it can inspire it can highlight parts of history that may have been maybe harsh to take, but you have to learn from it. Yeah. So Skylar's Skylar's asking whether hatred can inspire, can motivate, can can in a sense get us to learn about history and about about the real evils that are out there. And I think the answer is yes. I mean, hatred when targeted at at something that deserves to be hated, that is that where, where there is justice in that hatred. Absolutely, hatred can can motivate and and uh, can can inspire. I, I, you know, I'm not against revenge. I think revenge is is important. If you've ever read the Count of Monte Cristo, if you haven't read the Count of Monte Cristo, you're in for a real treat. One of the great great novels written in Western civilization. I, I encourage you to read it. And it's about revenge and it's about hatred. It's about hatred of people who are unjust. It's about hatred of injustice, and and hatred can motivate. Significantly, the problem with hatred is when it's not targeted at something that is truly unjust. When it is targeted that it's something non-essential, it's targeted at a just thing, then it can be unbelievably destructive. But I'm not one of those feel-good people who thinks, oh no, cleanse yourself of hatred. Let go of all the hatred. If only you think positive thoughts and walk around <laughs> smiling, life will be so wonderful. Give me a break, right? So, Absolutely. Um, 
So, no, sometimes it's appropriate to hate. I hate Donald Trump. I hated Obama. I hate Bush. And part of my motivation to go after them is the the degree to which I hate all of those guys. All right? Thanks, Skyla. Appreciate the call. We've got Russell from Virginia. Uh, Russell, uh, what's up? Hi, hi, Mr. Brooks. My thing is uh, when the the Democrats knew uh, the better deal, which the first time I heard it, it literally sounded like the New Deal. Yeah. Like, it's a better people, New Deal. Right? That's right. <laughs> yeah. Are people really going to support this? It's, it's the exact same stuff they've been running right. off for like the past hundred years. There's nothing different. I don't, like, well, when no, I saw it, the deal, there's nothing different. You're right. And, but look, a lot of people supported Bernie Sanders. And arguably, if Hillary Clinton had been less corrupt, Bernie Sanders might have won the Democratic nomination. And if you had had a election of Bernie Sanders versus Donald Trump, there's a good chance Bernie Sanders would have won. So we are not that far off from this populist, socialist light or, or real socialist uh, vision for America, where we penalize wealth, we penalize success, we penalize uh, business, and where we redistribute wealth on a massive scale even more than we do today. And um, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, a sca- it's really scary, but the American people, I think, are right for this. I think today, if, if you really presented, if you made a, a, a cogent argument for single-payer universal socialist health medicine today, mm-hmm. I think a majority of Americans would vote for it. I think that's where America is. I think that's what the American public wants right now. And uh, the complexity of insurance and the muddled insurance and the ugliness of the insurance markets today, the uncertainty about your fees next year, the deductibles, the co-pays, all of that. People are just fed up with what they perceive wrongly as a free market in healthcare. And then no leadership on the free market side, no leadership, no projection of what the ideal looks like. They would rally around single payer uh, socialist medicine in a heartbeat if, if, uh, if that was presented in a cogent way to them. All right, Russell, thanks for calling. Appreciate your call. Appreciate you listening. And, I, you know, I got to turn optimistic. I, I, I got to say some positive things about the world because otherwise I'm going to be depressed. And, you know, if I'm depressed, you're going to be even more depressed. And uh, that's no way to live life. And, and the fact is there's a lot of wonder in the world. And I, and I, I, uh, I tweeted and, and wrote about Facebook on the story that I read, which, which I found amazing. And that is that uh, for the first time in the U.S., uh, they have managed to edit the human genome in an embryo. So they've managed to go into an embryo and change its DNAs. And as far as they can tell, without, uh, without uh, polluting the rest of the DNA. So this had been done in China several times. But it had failed in a sense that, yes, they managed to change the one gene that they were targeting, but at the same time, they changed other genes that they didn't want to. And this is for the first time, supposedly, if the study is right and if the story is right, this is the first time where they've used this uh, CRISPR, which is this new technology for gene editing, uh, where they they have targeted a specific gene, a gene that's defective, that causes birth defects, and they've managed to change it so that theoretically, if this embryo was, was, was uh, placed in the womb of a woman and carried to term, it would not have the genetic defect that it was supposed to have. And they did this on uh, over 100 
embryos. So they took, uh, they took uh, eggs and they took sperm from males who had this genetic issue and they impregnated the eggs. And at the point of making the egg pregnant, in a sense, of, the, of that, they inserted this thing, I don't understand science enough to tell you what this thing is, to change the genes. It's called this CRISPR, this CRISPR is this technology. And it's, it's unbelievable, right? So you could basically take genetic diseases out there, and, and I would argue that, and, and many people have argued that many of the diseases we have today are basically genetic. And you can manipulate the genes at the level of the embryo when it, before it first divides, so that every cell from then on has the corrected gene. I think this is amazing. Now, I know all of you out there are scared. You know, what if bad guys get a hold of this technology? They're going to make a whole race of blue-eyed, blonde Hitler youth and so on and so forth. But yeah, and yet they're dangerous. Every technology can be used for evil and is dangerous. But wow, I just love it when the human mind invents new ways to control nature. It is so cool. And there's so many good things that can be done here. Think about all the wonderful, wonderful things about curing diseases that can be done here. Uh, so this is a huge advancement in technology and medicine and science, and it's, it's just terrific to see, and it's terrific um, that, you know, we get to live and, and see this through. And I view it, yes, there's danger, but the benefits far, far outweigh the dangers of such stuff. It's the same with artificial intelligence and robots that people are so afraid of. Even, even Elon Musk, the robots are going to take over the world. Cool down, man. The benefits of these things far outweigh the risks and the dangers of something bad happening. Yeah, they could happen. They could happen. But so, so could nuclear technology be used for a bomb. Yeah, it was used for a bomb, and, 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 but for the most part, the good guys have controlled the use of that bomb, and it hasn't been used too badly, you know, in, in any bad way yet. Uh, every technology can be used for evil, but I believe in human beings. I believe in our ability to create great things and do great things with technology and improve life on this planet. When we get back, I want to talk about improving life on the planet and where we are. Is life as horrible as so many people on left and right would like us to believe? You're listening to your Ron Brooks Show on the Blaze Radio Network. This is the Yaron Brooks Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Yaron Brooke. All right, so we're back, and unfortunately, we only have like five and a half minutes or so uh, to talk about some uh, positive things uh, other than the gene splicing technology. But we're going to have to do a whole show about this because there is now a new movement, if you will, among certain intellectuals called the New Optimists. I like it. I, I, I think that's cool, right? The New Optimists. Um, it's led by, by uh, mostly Europeans as many of these intellectual movements tend to be, uh, primarily by Jan Norberg uh, from Sweden, uh, Matt Ridley from the UK, and Steven Pinker. Steven Pinker might be an American or a Brit. I'm not sure. Anyway, important intellectuals in our time. And their basic, the basic idea that uh, the new optimists are advocating for is 
that we underreport and don't seem to value all the good news that is happening all around us all the time. For example, you know, just a few things, right? Child mortality has roughly gone down in by half since 1990. Since 1990, it's gone down by half. An additional 300,000 more people gain access to electricity every single day. Right? The number of people in extreme poverty fell by 137,000 people since yesterday. So basically every day. Right? So there is massive good stuff. Food, sanitation, life expectancy, poverty, violence. We'll get to violence in a minute. The state of the environment, how clean the air and the water we consume is. Literacy, even freedom, equality of, before the law, and conditions of childhood have all globally improved dramatically and are improving every single day right now. As we speak, they're getting better. As recently as 1882, only 2% of homes in New York had running water. In 1900, world, uh, worldwide life expectancy was a paltry 31 years. That's unbelievable, right? Worldwide life expectancy today, worldwide is 71 from 31, right? So, in terms of violence, violence is interesting. According to Steven Pinker's book, The Better Angels of Our Nature, which I strongly recommend, particularly the first half of it, um, we are living in the least violent period in human history. With ISIS, with what's going on in Syria, with the massacres and wars in, you know, Africa, with all the violence in Chicago, with all the violence all over the U.S., the, you know, that Donald Trump has convinced us is, you know, going through the roof, right? With all of the horrible stuff going on in the world. If you look at rates of death in wars, murder, rape, even bullying, all down, all in steep decline. We live, from this perspective, in the best era, the best period in human history. Now, there are other things that are not so good, and another time we can talk about those, and, and they're very important. But from a material perspective, from a material perspective, there's never been a better time than today. And this is important. This is important. Um, I, would, I would add that it is all a consequence of enlightenment thinking. It's all a consequence of the discovery or the rediscovery of, of, of the efficacy of reason, the, the, the bringing in of reason into civilization and replacing mystical revelation as a source of knowledge, replacing superstition and sticking to science and reason and knowledge, real knowledge. And while we in the West, in the United States and Western Europe, are losing that, and we, I still believe, are in decline, the rest of the world is discovering the Enlightenment, at least in some sense. The idea of individualism, the, 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 the fact that the individual is an end in himself, the fact that the purpose of politics is to protect the individual and the individual's life. 
that is on the rise everywhere in the world except, you know, the West and certain parts of the Middle East. So globally, things are getting better as things in the United States and Europe, if not getting dramatically worse, suddenly heading in the wrong direction. All right. You've been listening to the Ron Brooks Show. We're on the Blaze Radio Network. Talk to you next week, same time, same place. Applying the principles of rational self-interest and individual rights on your radio. It's the Yaron Brooks Show on the Blaze Radio Network.